Thank you for listening to the Hillsview Men's Ministry. We are a group of men building relationships to equip and encourage each other. Our teacher stepped to the front of the class and was visibly shaking. Now, back when I was in high school, um, they actually let one of my best friends and me attend the same English class, which unfortunately for this teacher, um, she had to put up with us. And on this particular moment, she was very angry. She'd been angry with us before. Actually, sometimes we had even ended up making her cry. But this time, she shouted, and it was so loud, everybody stopped immediately what they were doing, looked up front, and she just said, this is the worst class ever. And you two, pointing to my friend Adam and me, are the worst students ever. Lee, all you do is argue, and I immediately reply back, well, that's not true. <laughs> I had plenty of examples in which I was ready to give her to demonstrate why that wasn't true. And she continued, Adam, all you do is blither. And really, as I learned that situation, um, May, I thought I was right. Uh, but then what happens a couple of years later, and a couple of years of maturity, I end up seeing her in a video store. So now, with today's culture, I'm realizing like how old these sentences are. I said school, I said video store. Uh, but I end up seeing her, and I walk up to her, not really being able to make eye contact. I was like, I don't know if you remember me from class, um, but I just wanted to apologize for my behavior. And there's a little bit of silence. She did end up thanking me, and we parted ways. And as I saw her walk away, I did see her hand slowly removed from her purse, which I think was letting go of the pepper spray. Um, <laughs> you know, but what I think about those two contrasts there is which one was I right in? And actually, it's both, but which one was I more right in? And that's kind of one of the ways is it's not <clears throat> the only encounter I've had like that with people. Uh, I've had to just come up with a reminder for myself and the way I like to say it is that I don't want to be so right that it keeps me from doing what's right. I do think it's important that we know what's right, that we're capable of defending the right things, that we engage in the right types of conversations, and we hope for the right types of outcomes. So I titled this talk, How to Be Right. And again, I'm not claiming that I always am, um, but if we learn to draw our values from Scripture and that we understand our purpose and meaning, the plug for the current ser sermon series, you know, as Christians, then we develop these reminders and checks on our own behaviors. I believe that we're going to end up being more right, more at peace, and more capable of engaging with our friends and family on topics of politics and faith. So last Sunday, when Devin gave his message on how to share the gospel, and that is a good reminder for us as Christians on what's important when we're engaging the culture. Uh, if we're maturing Christians, then we should have already had these moments in our lives where we've shared Christ with non-Christians. And maybe we walked them through the process of salvation, prayed together to be born again, which is an awesome experience. And as Devin shared, though, it's because Jesus is already working in their lives. Now, all we're doing is helping plant seeds, water, and helping with that harvest. So as followers of Christ... We are being watched by non-believers in everything we do. And that's even also due to the new-to-faith believers. So how we conduct ourselves matters. And it shouldn't be that when we're sharing our faith, 
uh, and our views on politics that we'd be causing division by it. So they probably still will. Um, but I think there's ways that we can make our intentions and approach done in the right way. So this quote's been around a while. If you aren't a liberal in your 20s, you have no heart. If you aren't a conservative in your 40s, you have no brain. <laughs> but I really don't think we should be without either. And for us as Christians, we cannot be without the guidance of Scripture and without frequent prayer. So here's, uh, I was telling Cal, this is my out statement right now. You know, if there's anything you remember from this, it's right now. So your political position is right, and you came about it using good reasoning and being emotionally connected to those issues. Again, your political position is right. You came about it with good reasoning and being emotionally connected. So, anything else I say, tends to upset or whatever, just go back to that. I think that's the only thing that I said was right. <laughs> but the follow-up I have to that statement is, are you sure? Because I do want to spend a little time here on what politics, political views, positions, supporting candidates are for the Christian. Then I want to move on to why we should do it. And I'll finish up with kind of a way that I look at how we can do it. Um, really in that idea of the, the what. And, and we can come up with the different terms. We can come up with the different times and issues that it's there. But I'm just going to use politics as kind of a catch-all term you know, for us right now. Um, and I actually work with internet and technology all the time, but I didn't do a PowerPoint for this specific reason. So I would probably just end up sharing internet memes, jokes, funny articles I find, and that would probably be the only rabbit hole I go down the whole time. So to make sure that I didn't do only that, I left the PowerPoint behind. Uh, but I do want to share at least two titles or two headlines that I got from the Babylon Bee. So number one is, Ignorant Christian, not constantly in panic or despair. And the second one is, get a load of this ignorant moron who doesn't follow politics and is also really happy with his life. <laughs> and why I love this satire comedy and these jokes is because it really has a way of communicating a thing without saying the thing. You know, there's the inference. You have to draw the conclusion out of what um, you're seeing there. Sometimes it is a direct way. There's no room for confusion. But really what you have to do is look for clues, investigate what's really being said in order to get to the truth. Well, for us as Christians, where is our source of truth? Who is our truth? Now, we can find truth in words or actions taken by those in the polit in political system in politics. But politics can't be truth itself for us. A politics are the means to reflect values that human beings have and claim to be true. So a Christian can never have their politics take a higher emphasis over the values we learn from the Bible and make every effort to live by. Here it is another way. If others know more of your political views than they do of your relationship with Christ, you're doing it wrong. You know, when Jesus' enemies were trying to trap him by either having him declare loyalty to Caesar or declare loyalty to God, his response was, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's. Now, politics have a place in our life, no doubt, and during election season, it gets overwhelming. I mean, I'm really hoping that 
you know, three, four days after the election when no more ads hit. Oh, I look forward to that. But these things can just never take the place over what we give to God with our lives. Now, with the message series we have right now for Purpose and Meaning, the one of the recent weeks, Ron gave us a balanced life. And I think one of the reasons that politics and the focus of it becomes unbalanced is that we actually do get moments of happiness and affirmation from what we agree with. Now, in psychology, this is a term called confirmation bias. Basically, what happens is a person already believes a thing, and they go searching for sources that will confirm what they already believe. In extreme cases, it ends up with tinfoil being used as head coverings. <laughs> but it also happens with common everyday things we have in life, too. There's a new tool, a car, something else that we want to buy. Well, we just look at the positive reviews of it, see that it's a good product, convince ourselves we'd have to buy it. You know, we'd be a fool not to. And we can do this with our news sources as well. So in fact, if there's a source of news that isn't agreeing with what we've already accepted, well, then they're the ones lying, right? So I do find it amusing sometimes. And you see this pretty commonly. You can watch uh, some of these sources that what they're doing is calling out confirmation bias on why people do not agree with them while claiming they have no bias and they're literally being biased in that moment. And so what happens with you know news sources and things that we confirm or you know consume that way with news? Uh, it's probably helpful first. You should know what your blood pressure levels are, and then we cannot consume only sources that confirm our position, because what happens is we'll continue to feel validated in our positions, and it can tend to make us feel more hostile against those uh, people who don't hold our positions. So I don't suggest spending large amount of time consuming news that goes against what you're already um, believing. You know, we don't want to get that blood pressure too high. But you do need to do it a little bit because what it's going to help build up is that we're going to learn to engage others with empathy, understanding. And remember, all people are made in the image of God. So here's an illustration, though, where uh, confirmation bias you know, can be exposed because uh, what we do is we focus on this um, really is the, the truth um, to find and move beyond just what we already accept at a surface level. So Ravi Zacharias, great, great speaker, I mean, great uh, you know, foundational uh, to teach. I'm trying to think now exactly apologist. There's a good term. Um, you know, he's been giving this tour of a college campus. And the person given the tour just says, I want to show you our postmodern building. This building, you know, reflects our society. There's no overall scheme to it. Doors that don't open. Doors that open to a wall. Staircases that go nowhere. It really reflects how life has no overall, overall meaning and purpose. You know, and they're just very proud of this building. So Ravi then asks him one question. Did they do the same with the foundation? And obviously, if you didn't, you wouldn't have any building that stands up. So really what that should be for us is that while there are surface levels that we can look at, foundational things are foundational. So no matter what new source that you're looking at, search for the foundational biblical truths in it, not just simply things that affirm a bias. It just 
again, we'll focus on that and keep using this phrase here. Don't be so right it keeps you from doing what's right. So now another helpful tip in keeping balanced here is to kind of recognize our knowledge is limited. There's another area where the confirmation bias creeps in because we know a thing or we know many details about a thing. We'll tend to believe we know all the things about that thing. And we don't try to look for things that we don't know much about because then we can think we already know all that we need to know. So one of my favorite scriptures to kind of point this out is, is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, if you're familiar with that passage, it's often looked at as the love chapter, and it's used in weddings a lot. But because it's a men's group, we ain't doing that. I do look at this chapter as the whole of it and see it as the limitation of knowledge. And when Paul is writing this to the Corinthians, these were people who were valuing their knowledge and spiritual gifts above one another. The Corinthians' emphasis was to display knowledge and gifts as power. So Paul lays out the case here. Even if they had all the knowledge, the way to be more right is love. So these are verses 1 through 3 and 8 through 12. If I could speak all languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I could fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Now, I thought that would sound great on a business card, fathomer of all mysteries and knowledge, but it's not going to happen. We cannot have all knowledge here on earth. So we know in part, we know imperfectly. And we should be more honest about that with ourselves. So to sum up what politics are for the Christian, they're only part of our lives. We need to keep them in balance. They're not where we draw our values and truth from. That's scripture. That's Jesus Christ. And remember, we have limited knowledge. We see imperfectly. Now, if I ended up convincing you not to care about politics, or if that was already your position, kind of okay with that. But here's also why it matters. Politics are the means to reflect values that human beings have and claim to be true. If we can direct conversations to discuss values and what a person claims to be true, then we have the chance to present the gospel and Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and life. For us individually as Americans, we get to participate freely in a representative form of government. I do have another page here. It's pretty unique in the world. I mean, our, our form of government here in America, um, this is pretty special. And so we can support and vote for positions, candidates that we hope represent our biblical values. 
Now, in older times, what you had is politics and faith were completely enmeshed. And they weren't talked about as two separate things because many were derived directly from the religious beliefs. So I'm going to use two examples here from the book of Acts that illustrate why these men shared their faith and their values and then the outcomes. So from Acts chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, and I'm going to jump all the way to chapter 7, 57 through 60. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blasphemy Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting, they rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Now in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 23, and then 32 through 34, so Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This is whom you worship without knowing. And this is the one I'm telling you about. When they had heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. So there's the why right there. Some joined and became believers. Even if the outcome is what happened to Stephen, the conversations we have with others can always be revealing God and his glory and sharing the gospel. So the famous preacher, John Piper, walked by his house, uh, walked by sign in his house every day as he was growing up. And the sign said, only one life soon will pass, only what's done for Christ will last. And that was his reminder for how he was going to put value in his life. Now, I have a sign in my house. I walk by it's as I'm leaving for the day. And it's a wooden sign that has the verse Micah 6.8 on it. Now, to start with, I'm going to actually intentionally misquote this verse. Because it's often how I want to read the verse. This is the bias I want to put into it. So love justice when it happens to others. Everyone should act in mercy towards me. And God and I walk together. That goes back to that first way of being right. And I could decide that's what that verse says. If someone wronged me, well, I love when they get justice. If I wrong someone, or just in general... Everyone should act in mercy towards me. And when God and I walk together, that's us as equals. Well, it's not what the verse says. And in doing what's right, it's important to properly understand scripture. And so this becomes my verse as a reminder of how to be right. So what Micah 6.8 says is, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So let's define each of those, and here's some ways we can put it into action. Act justly. This for me is my choices, my behaviors, my interactions with others. 
So in regard to engaging in politics, it's to be informed, to have an understanding of the issues and the candidates and reconciling those to biblical values. You're not acting justly by not voting. And if you vote and have not evaluated why you're voting, who you're voting for, well, that's equally unjust. I recognize the cost of entry to be informed on politics is pretty high. But is there justice in letting only a few people decide the outcome for many? So Christians, we have the opportunity to use our voting to support our values and hope that the right change is effective. But to do nothing is not acting at all. So now to love mercy. Now the key to this part is not loving mercy only when it's being shown to you. You know, it is to be thankful for the opportunity to forgive others when they have wronged us. It is to share with those that act unjustly and to offer them a better way of following Jesus. Now the part of the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, that I did not read, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. These verses are also a good reminder for us. Now, one of the exercises you can do is replace that word love with your name. Or ask a question, am I? You know, do I care about this person that I'm having a conversation with? Would it be better for me to keep my relationship with them or have it severed because of this disagreement? You know, I mean, the idea of that bringing a separation, um, I kind of have always said this too as far as in regards of church, understanding scripture, understanding political position. You should just be aware of an interpretation that's going to bring separation between you and another person. Uh, now, I won't say that there's never a reason or a time to actually end a relationship with a person, but I just think that that option is more quickly chosen than it ought to be. Now, to walk humbly with your God. I mean, I've kind of always liked to, you know, say a joke or a similar joke for it. Let me tell you how humble I am. But that's also not how humility works. You know, humility is a proper understanding of one's condition, recognizing our relationship to authority, and not thinking of ourselves higher than we ought to. You know, if in a political conversations, both persons are demanding the other to change, using insults, dismissing ideas without hearing them, which might have been like a recent debate that happened. I don't say much humility was present in a conversation like that. But if in a conversation, one person allows the other to speak, one person asks for better understanding of what the other person says and thanks them for the conversation, but even if there's disagreement, you state, my beliefs as a Christian mean I must see it a different way. Well, then humility is present. Now, if you look at the verb here, too, walk humbly, well, that's present tense. It's not a past tense. It's not a one-time. It's not a future tense. We live in our relationship to God each and every moment, and we should do so humbly. Appreciating the redeemed life God gave us through his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus gives us a contrast between two people 
reaching out to prayer and God. So from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. So Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, I am a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I mean, if it was in today's era, you know, the Pharisee might have also added, thank you, I'm not like the political side I disagree with. So I admit, I don't have a perfect record on this, and most likely I'm going to have failures in the future too. But if I don't start my day humbly, coming before God, walking with him throughout the day, loving mercy, acting justly, then no matter the knowledge I have, the conviction with which I speak, the belief that I'm right, I won't be doing what's right. Thank you.